When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yes, everybody, welcome back to Full-Time Devils. This is episode 54 of the Full-Time Devils podcast today. Delighted to be joined by, I've got Joshy, I've got Paul, and I've got John Shin. How's everyone doing? Oh, good, mate. Surviving, I think that's what, what you, all you can do at the moment. Yeah, exactly. I think my dog just barked at my wife just as she was leaving the, the house. I don't know what the hell just happened there. Yeah, I hope everyone is surviving. Stay everyone home! Just, just Tell her to stay just home. She's in the garden. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, how's everyone coping with the lockdown? Uh, Josh, I was just chatting to you. You said your workload seems like it's tripled working from home. Yeah, working from home, kids, everything. And also my company's involved in a few clinical trials and a lot of other stuff going on. So, yeah, yeah it's... It is what it is. We try and crack on. Paul, are you dealing with the lockdown? Uh, I do some decorating that I threatened to do about two and a half years ago. She's reminded me every six months, um, consistently every six months. And uh, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I've really started to make some progress and now I've been interrupted by you guys. So you guys can get the shit for it, not me. <laughs> and John, how are you doing, pal? Uh, doing all right. Uh, I think the last time we sat down for the podcast, I had a great conversation with Paul and, um, uh, we had, uh, he helped me to sort of, sort of settle down, but here in New York is not really looking good. Uh, New Yorkers having a very difficult time trying to cope with this uh, pandemic, but you know, it's not just New York everywhere else is feeling the, feeling the heat. So just, you know, my prayers and my, you know, my good wishes go out to all. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit rough in New York in at the moment. New York seems to be the epicenter of how this whole thing's going off in uh, in the United States, which seems to be getting it particularly bad. Um, New York is that just a, a consequence of everyone being stacked on top of each other and, and being such a, an enormous city? Do you think? Oh yeah, hundred ten percent. You know, we talk. You know, I'm not I'm not a scientist, and I'm sure uh, Joshy can probably attest to that. But uh, uh, New York definitely is feeling the heat because, especially in uh, areas. The, the the county that's feeling it the most is my county, which is Queens County. And the areas like Elmhurst, Corona, Jackson Heights, all these areas that are just getting like just getting destroyed by this uh, virus is people are living in these apartments that are extremely crowded and they're very stacked on top of each other. And I'm pretty sure there's plenty of people that's probably not even reported coronavirus and trying to self-resolve at home. So the stats are probably not even uh, 100% accurate. And, you know, these people are all just all on top of each other walking around and it's, it's difficult for them to even get tested. If one guy in one apartment gets it, 
there's a 90% chance they're all probably going to get it because of the fact that, you know, they're so crammed together. So it's, it's difficult. New York is very densely populated and I'm sure there are other densely populated areas, but we were just, it's just, it's just very difficult. I don't want to speak too much because I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Is that a consequence of, um, you mentioned like people not wanting to get tested, trying to sort themselves out at home. Is that a consequence? And I don't want to make this political, but obviously it's a huge factor in terms of the way healthcare works in America you know, do you want to go and get tested? Do you want to even like risk the treatment if it's going to put you thousands into debt? Yeah, no, a hundred percent sure. You know, uh, and the the stimulus package that recently came out. Again, I don't want to get too political, and I'll just keep this brief. But they, they the the new the new relief bill pretty much protects patients who come in get tested for coronavirus to be able to get treatment also uh, paid by the government and whatnot. So that's sort of a relief, but everything is very gray area right now. People aren't really sure what's going on. They go to the hospital, they get, you know, they get put under, you know, a ventilator because things get really critical. And then a lot of people don't come out. Apparently, like the stats say, it's like one in third that come out of a innovation period from a incubator. So it's very scary times for everybody in New York. There's a lot of misinformation going around. And I'm hoping that I'm hoping that we get through it as quickly as possible because I'm, I have close friends of mine who live in that uh, area who have contracted the virus and they looked miserable. I mean, we were on the phone, we were crying because, you know, just they looked like they were worried for a minute that they weren't going to make it. And it was it's just been a very difficult time for New Yorkers. Yeah, I think I can... uh, is it the governor of New York that's come out of this quite well? He seems like quite a switched on kind of guy. Is it governor? I'm getting that term right. That's right. It's uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo. He's uh, so the governors in the governors in New York and California in particular are doing very well to assess the situations. And again, I'm not trying to get too political, but just from a just from a a handling perspective, they they've been doing it rather well. You know, New York obviously, as much as Governor Cuomo would like to handle it, it's 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 almost difficult, like impossible to try and contain it, given the fact that it spreads like wildfire. But he's done a fairly good job, I think. Sorry, Josh, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? No, you know, I was just picking up on what John said earlier about like how emotional it is. Like my my father-in-law has just come out of hospital. Uh, he was in hospital for thirteen nights. So, you know, and he, uh, one, one evening his SATs dropped to like 40%, so his oxygen saturation dropped to 40%, which is basically you're going, that he's kind of done. So we were in the same kind of FaceTiming and, and, and my wife's family and all that kind of, but he's back home having his cup of tea now and stuff. So he's come through it. He's 70, late 70s, lots of under other conditions and he's come through it, which is really cool. But yeah, Thank God. it is tough. It is tough. Right, should we talk about football then before everyone can end some Let's do it. Yes, Let's please. Do it. Right, so <laughs> yeah, uh, a couple of things listening. I'm going to cover. Uh, do we think We're going to cover <laughs> the absolute bullshit about Harry Kane. We're going to talk about Jaden Sancho, which I'm, I'm not thinking is bullshit. Um, we'll, we'll come to Josh in a little bit, obviously, and see if he's got any advice for people for, for where to get good information on uh, what's going on with Arona. Uh, but let's kick it off on this then. Um, Reports came out of Italy yesterday that um, the Premier League are about to announce uh, an ending to the season. Paul, what is your take on that? And which way do you think it'll go? Do you think it'll be a voiding of the season? Or, as it seemed to allude to, like what happened in Belgium, they're going to award the title. But a bit different in Belgium. They were 15 points clear with a single game left to play. So it doesn't really feel as egregious, does it? Yeah, well, I'm halfway through making me, me banner. COVID-19, uh, COVID-19, Liverpool, uh, all that 
kind of jazz, but I, I don't know. I, I can't see how it's going to go. Um, can we do it safely? Looking at the stats and and the things that you've seen on the news, I can't see a way of of completing the season safely. As you heard about all these potential uh, World Cup type um, playing all the games around certain centres, um, I don't know how you would do it. So, as much as it pains me to say it, you would probably have to award it to Liverpool. But then, where do you go with all the rest of the all the rest of the places? European competitions, it's it's a minefield, and it'll be it'll be the sponsors that uh, that drive it. I would think. Yeah, I agree. Funny if they do award it them though, because then they never won it. Yeah, and I'd definitely be reminding them that little nineteen asterisks next to it. Yeah, that. Joshua, what? what do you reckon? Yeah, I've said it since since I think we came back onto the pod and stuff. I, that last season's done, right? I, I don't have any. I don't know. I don't know why. Well, I do know why people are discussing it because there's a lot of money involved and you kind of have to stagger that type of information out so that people don't lose their minds in one go. So stagger it out a little (laughs) bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And then eventually people accept it. And then it's kind of like, oh, well, we knew that was going to happen. But that last season is done. And actually, we have to think about next season, actually. Uh, I I have serious issues with how next season will pan out because it's not like we're going to be back to 100% normal by June, July, August, uh, September. We won't be back to normal until there's a, a vaccine and there's, um, like, you know, treatments and all that. So we're, I, I, I suspect we're going to have some level of rolling lockdowns, things like that. So next season will, is also under threat to some degree. And to what degree is difficult to kind of predict. You may end up saying, well, we just play the league season, cancel the FA Cup, and uh, sorry, cancel the League Cup, that would be the first one to go, potentially yeah, even the FA Cup um, and at a European level, can potentially even cancel the Europa League. But for me, you're gonna how you the Champions League is also a threat because how do you coordinate across different countries where they've got different levels, where we're at different points in in the spread? How do you coordinate that? And you could play it behind closed doors. That's fine, but you still got all this movement of people, uh, and and we we saw that you know sports fans. Uh, you know, we, we're all fans, but you get that minority and it's not an insignificant minority. You get the minority who will just turn up at the stadium because they will just want to be there for it. Right. Look at Liverpool. If Liverpool are awarded the title or let, let's hypothetically say this season does go back into play behind closed doors. If they're if Liverpool are up against whoever it is and that is their final match and if they win it, they're going to win the league. You will get that small but significant minority of people who will turn up at the stadium will want to be there when it happened. I was there. I was one of those guys that's braved the COVID to listen to my team win the game. Do you see what, do you see what I mean? You get that mentality. Of course you will, yeah. I think, did it happen uh, and, with Valencia already? Well, yeah, I think that's probably before... Yeah, it ha- I mean, it happened with PSG. We saw them, like, celebrating up at the you know, stadium in the Champions League and they were all out there, 10,000 of them. I think that's before we understood really, or, or the general public understood really how serious this was. So I don't think it would be to that level, um, it, but it would still be significant enough to be like, well, what's the point in risking it, right? So for next season, with these rolling potential rolling lockdowns, which will happen at different times in different countries, um, you know, some people, some countries might be fully shut down. So you've got you've got Champions League is that threat, I think. So talking about this current season that's paused, for me from a purely scientific perspective and medical perspective is daft. 
notwithstanding, you've also got the money considerations, legal stuff going on. So I get that there's probably stuff happening in the background, but I don't think this season can go ahead safely. Um, and, and I would be worried about next season as well, unfortunately. Yeah, I think you're probably barking up the right tree there. Um, John, UEFA have sort of come out and extended this season indefinitely. And one of the things that they've done, which I am 100% certain is going to get a U-turn done, is they've extended players' contracts without consent. I don't know how they can legally do that. Uh, I don't know if they can do that with a club's affordability point of view. I don't know if they can do that against player wishes. Surely it's a restriction of trade. There's there's all of these extra little consequences on it. Uh, are you in agreement with Drashi that it's probably done this season and we probably would be better trying to focus on, you know, start the transfer window, maybe, maybe extend it, but at least start the new season come July. Um, do whatever you want to do with this season, but start the new season come July, in, at least in an admin sense. And then when you're able to, whether that is September, October or later in the year, maybe resume games behind closed doors. What's your thoughts? Josh, John, you're, you're muted. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> I, was, I didn't want to make stupid noises while you guys were talking before. Uh, I was pretty much trying to say that as the day goes by, it's going to be much more difficult for the for the current season to resume. I mean, you know, you mentioned you mentioned that decision made by uh, UEFA to to extend contracts, or was that FIFA? I think that's hundred percent getting overturned. There's so many regulations and 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 factors involved with with a decision like that. It's just I just don't see how they're going to be able to to even enforce or regulate that matter. Uh, without consent from the clubs, I mean, it's not money coming out of UEFA's pockets to to pay these players. It's, I, with that respect, I think that's definitely getting overturned. I think you're 100 percent spot on there. But with respect to the season, I think it's it's harder to say that it's going to continue as the day uh, as the day goes by. It's just very difficult. I think what FIFA and what what the Premier League needs to do is figure out a situation where every club is having to be given either two or three options and say, look, this is the circumstance that, you're, that we're in. We're all going to have, have to take a sacrifice at a certain point. There's no way each club, one club's going to walk out with everything happy and, and another club's going to yeah. walk out with taking the brunt of it. It's just impossible. Every club at this point has to take some sort of sacrifice and say, look, this has to end either option A, option B, or option C. They have to sit down and they all have to come to a collective agreement. Now, it's going to be difficult for clubs like... Um, you know, the, the bigger clubs like Liverpool, Manchester City, you know, Manchester United, all these bigger clubs to be able to say, you know, oh, we're fine with it. And then have the bottom three like Bournemouth, Aston Villa, Norwich, you know, the smaller clubs to be like, oh, you know, this is this is unfair for us. There's always there's going to be some sort of sacrifice that's going to be uh, more uh, outweighing the other sort of sacrifice that's being taken on the other end. So the, the Premier League has to come down to two or three options and say to all the clubs, this is what we have. This is what we need to do, and that's that because we cannot continue this club. Uh, we cannot continue this, uh, the season any longer, or else it's just going to completely skew the entire calendar for the this year, the year after, and for every every uh, everything going around within uh, Europe in particular. Paul, why do you think there's such a desire to continue the current season over delaying next season? What what? Because for me, ultimately, you can only play a certain amount of games. With us having to take. 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 15 weeks, 16 weeks, whatever it is off, you can't cram everything that you had to do in that time and then cram in next season at the same time and have it all just honky-dory. Why do you think there's a desire to finish this season over um, starting a new season? I think 
I think no one can quite understand, and no one's quite getting to grips, even just socially, um, no one's getting to grips with um, the situation that we're in, because it's so unprecedented, and football is, I, I don't remember football ever stopping. Uh, you might have the odd, the odd games um, postponed because of a bit of snow or whatever, but it's such a constant in people's lives that no one can quite deal with the fact that it's, and I keep hearing people talking about it in past sense, in past tense, so right now, I feel like there's possibly been a decision made, alluding to what Josh said earlier, there's possibly uh, been a decision made and just sort of drip-feeding that idea out. And the only way that I could see possibly getting um, compressing the end of this season into the beginning of next season, the only way that I could see that happening is um, if we took away international friendlies and did the European games over one leg. Mm-hmm. and it, it, But then... It'd be a case of how do you do that safely, and then you've got the behind closed doors and people still attending and all that kind of stuff. So, like I say, as much as it pains me to say it, I think the, the probably the the best thing to do would be to just void this season. And again, I mean, where do you go with that? Where do you go with that for the European qualification? For the, I actually think it might work in um, in UEFA's favour because the Europa League is absolutely it's an absolute nonsense. It's got too many fixtures, and it devalued the other the other European competition. And it it, did in the for fans, way. but they love it, don't they? That they're bringing in a Europa Conference, so so you can Are finish they? in the top ten and get in the, in the into Europe. Yeah, but that's just trying to bring the Super League in, and it's football's reached a saturation point. And what they don't realise is that if you had another competition that was effective, I think you could, if they marketed the uh, the old Cup Winners' Cup, I think if they did that properly, it'd give the um, it gives the other countries cup competitions a lease of life as well, but you know the decision makers of football—they just don't seem to live in the same world that everyone else does, unfortunately. No, and I think that's one of the issues is that, as I think a couple of people have already alluded to on this call, money seems to be the major driving factor. It's sponsorships, it's TV money that seems to override every single other thing that's happening. Um, with the game, and I think that's stopping the common sense approach to mm-hmm. how you actually deal with it. And in terms of like, this has never happened in my lifetime for sure. Um, I was chatting to my nan, and she was saying it's never happened in, in her lifetime either, where anything like this has happened. And even during World War Two, it changed, but football didn't go away because you still had a war league. There was still a handful of clubs that was playing some football to some people, and it carried on going. So even though the traditional first division went away, there was still football. Right now, not only is it not going on in this country, but the entire world, apart from Belarus, by the sounds of things, um, <laughs> is just... Uh, has everyone picked a, t- a Belarusian team, by the way? <laughs> no, I'm just going to do that now. FC Sluts, that's what we're having. Always been a big fan of Sluts. Um, right. <laughs> Let's let's get on to the next talking point. Harry Kane to United. If you read the reports, Harry Kane does want to leave. And actually, if you saw the live stream that he did, yeah, I saw that. That's that's a man that wants to leave. Yeah. Um, United was one of the clubs immediately linked to him, as was always going to be the case. Uh, supposedly, he wasn't on any list that Solskjaer has given to the management team, uh, to the finance team, to go and make work on but United inquired anyway one Josh does that sit right with you in the first place and two would you want to see Harry Kane in a United shirt 
answer the first question is no, because then you're obviously undermining you're undermining the manager and what his wishes are for the team, right? Uh, would I want to? It's a difficult one. I really, I have to say, in the last the last sort of few months before the season was paused uh, you know we were we were getting a run of results in Bruno Fernandes playing well I can imagine we're going to talk about Sancho later but if you imagine that front three is very fluid could be very fluid even with like Greenwood on the right and Martial through the middle Rashford on the left you've got Fernandes Pogba's really exciting so then when you think about that I, I'm really excited about how we could potentially play going forward in terms of pace um, uh, sort of flexibility um, across that front three you can largely play across the three positions um a lot of fluidity with but what you get with Kane you know he's he whether it's a difficult because you get goals you get the goals that he scores goals he's a world-class striker now the only question is is he going to be a a Veron who comes in and doesn't quite fit the system everyone knows a quality player talented absolutely I loved uh, Juan Sebastian Veron, but it didn't quite fit the system and and didn't quite turn it on in 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 England. Even when he went to Chelsea, is that going to happen with Harry Kane coming in? Because he's not someone who kind of runs in behind and with pace uh, and sort of you know that kind. Of, he's on the end of crosses. He's, he gets on the end of balls. I'm not I'm not trying to reduce him down to target man. He absolutely isn't. But he's not that kind of in behind the place uh, kind of pace off the shoulder of the last defender type player, which is where we're kind of going. So you lose your, almost a bit of your counter-attacking threat um, a little bit. And that's where we've been at strength. So I, I have a dilemma because I think he's a he's obviously a world-class striker, but whether he's the player that I would want to bring in. And and also Mason Greenwood, come in, you know, if you bring Harry Kane in, he's, you've got, it's going to be 150 million quid. He has to start every game. Uh, and you've got Martial banging on the door. He's going to be whatever. Then you've got Greenwood, who's going to be kind of shunted off. And then does that, if we spend that level of cash on Harry Kane, other areas which is more, which are more pressing, will we actually have the funds to go there? And, and I suspect not, especially in the current environment. So for me, I would reluctantly, it's probably a reluctant no with those caveats that I've put in place. John, what do you reckon? Kane, anything in it? Um, look, you know, uh, people may people may know that I, I'm a huge fan of Kane, but if if I, with respect to that whole uh, mention about uh, Solskjaer not having him in his plans, I think it wouldn't hurt from a from a board perspective to go out and get these options for a manager. You know, he doesn't need to necessarily have him in his wish list, but if he, if a board can go around and say, oh look, I know this guy wasn't on your list, but we happened to be shopping around and we we thought this guy was available, this guy was available. It wouldn't hurt to to give him an offer. Like you've just gone to Tesco and been like, <laughs> hey, while I was there, I just thought, you wouldn't mind, £150 million centre-forward. I, I got it. Sure, but but <laughs> to continue, I was saying, like Jossie mentioned, I think he's spot on there. It's it's a huge sum. I I think there's much. I think there's other areas in the pitch for Manchester United that really need much more investments. I think midfield in particular needed a lot more investment. We're still unsure what's going on with Pogba. Fred's had a great season, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to have another great season afterwards. We have to make sure that the competition is in tip top shape. On all aspects, and I think midfield requires a little bit more of that that investment. And uh, and you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about Sancho later on, but 
if the money's being spent on Sancho and if there's any more left in that in that chest to spend, I'd rather spend that money in midfield. You know, uh, Harry Kane is a fantastic player. Uh, you guys, people, people on Twitter know how much I I, lo- I like the guy. I love the guy, but I think given the competition that we have right now in our in our attacking lineup, and if we add Sancho, I think we probably would rather prioritize midfield than our attacking lineup. Paul, you the same as the other lads? Just think there's um, other areas. I think. Uh, we're going to probably retain a Gallo, so it makes sense to have a, a decent backup. But I think um, spending 150 million quid on Harry Kane, if, let's have it right, he's he's injury prone. He's got uh, and a hamstring avulsion, which is uh, Josh will tell us um, it's not an easy it's not an easy injury to get over. He's had uh, back problems. You always get compensation issues after a, after an injury, so his back problems could uh, recur. And he's also had. Um, Injury issue, uh, ankle injury issues as well. So, it, just from that point of view, just looking at his his um, his medical history, it's, it's a risky transfer. And going back to what Josh said, he's he's not quite a target man number nine. He's probably a nine and a half, and he drops off, and um, he wants to take the penalties, but he he's not the quickest anyway. And if he's lost a yard or half a yard because of his injury, and he has issues sort of off the back of that, then it's just uh, it's just. Pointless. I would rather go with um, Jadon Sancho. His numbers are phenomenal. He's got a awful balance on the right hand side, and probably some um, some more depth in midfield, and possibly even a centre half, depending on who leaves. So yeah, that's where that's where I'd be looking to spend the money. Yeah, I kind of line up on the same thing. I don't really like um, I don't really like the management deciding players. I, I thought we'd move past that. I thought that was a, a hangover from possibly Louis days where we saw the likes of Di Maria and Falcao brought in. I'm sure, you know, and even Paul Pogba, actually, Jose says, yeah, I wanted him. But actually, when you listen to what they said, oh, we worked on this deal for two years. Well, that wasn't a Jose signing then. It can't have been. Like It might have been one that Jose was happy with, but you, you can't necessarily say that Jose went, oh, get me that guy, because that's not how it went down. Um, and I would rather... If Haaland is the one that Solskjaer wants, I would rather he got Haaland over Kane. If he, if whoever, if it's Troy Deeney, I would rather he went out and got Troy Deeney because I want to see what Solskjaer's vision is because then we can judge him on his vision. If you go, uh, that's your vision, but like there's Harry Kane and there's this guy, well, how would you ever know if his vision is going to be successful or not? So we have to see what he's, we have to allow Solskjaer's plan to be, um, to brought to fruition, and then we can actually figure out if he is the man that we hope that he might be. Jaden Sancho, a couple of you sort of touched on there. Jaden Sancho reports uh, all over the place of Liverpool pulling out, of potentially um, agreements happening with United. Um, John, what do you reckon? Is that the sort of player that you see in a United shirt and think that is still um, good to go? Oh, without a doubt. The last podcast we were on here, we, we were we were we were being a bunch of fools. And one thing I did say was I don't really make transfer predictions, and I'm not an ITK, I'm not a not a journalist, but I guarantee that this is a done deal because I think Manchester United definitely are going to secure Jaden Sancho. Uh, with respect, with respect to, with respect to uh, why I think Jaden Sancho is a is a perfect asset for Manchester United because he's still young. He's an English player. And I think you touched up on it kind of there uh, when we were talking about Harry Kane. If Harry Kane were into, were to walk into this team, like you said, he's 150 million signing. He's going to demand playing time. He's going to demand his spot on the 11. 
That's going to kill the rhythm with uh, with uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's plans. That's going to kill the rhythm with all the players that they've been trying to find this, you know, this chemistry amongst themselves. And it's going to have to be reset all over again. <coughs> However, when you're signing someone like Sancho, he's a young player that's going to come in. He knows how the, the the some of the lads work in that team. They They're all sort of in that same... Uh, I don't want to say wave. I'm not sure what the what the correct term here is, but they're kind of in that same area within the same era within their lifetime where they're kind of accepting of the fact that they're they're all competition within each other. So I think that's age. gonna be a most sure. of us use the word age. Sure. They're around that same age, <laughs> but it's not really it's not really just the age. I, I want to avoid I want to avoid the word age. I I, I want to avoid the word age. Killed it, man. I want to avoid the word age because they they I think we'd rather just grade them just based on the where where they are in terms of their footballing level and their footballing abilities yeah. right now. And I think they're kind of growing together, and I think they can feed off of that together. Whereas Harry Kane, he's kind of more ahead in that respect, and I don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be able to milk or maximize that that potential from the squad. I think you might be onto something there. I think um, even though we like to classify um, the Class of 92 as the Class of 92, Giggs was, you know, a year ahead of that. And, you know, some of them was even like as late as 95. But no one ever goes, oh, yeah, it was one Class of 91, a couple of 92 and one 94, one 95. No one ever calls them that. They've just got been lumped as that. And I actually do think the likes of Rashford and Greenwood, even though they're not the same youth team, they are the same generation. And I think, you know, Brandon, Mason, Marcus, Sancho, even though I know he grew up at Manchester City, I know that he's friends with several members of the squad, big friends with Angel Gomez, possibly just because they played in the same England squads together. But I also know that he is a fan of, or friendly with some of the other players that are in and around the squad. So um, whether Angel sticks around or goes, there's like a generation of lads that have grown up in the city at the same sort of time will have the same sort of experiences. And even though Marcus is clearly the one that's pushing ahead with the most appearances and the most experience, I still think he, I think he probably is like the Ryan Giggs figure of this team. And then you're going to have like a big bulk of them coming behind them. Should lightning strike twice. And we see that happening. Uh, Paul, what's your thoughts? Jaden Sancho, is he the, the real deal? Do you think we can do it for United? And do you think he's coming? Well, there's too much noise around it. There's definitely, um, whether there's a fire or not, there's definitely a lot of smoke. Um, it looks like it's it looks like it's a done deal. The way Rashford was talking about it, you probably know more than we do. Um, the way Rashford was talking about it, it looks like a, a done deal. And I just look at some of his numbers and they're just ridiculous. Uh, he's got almost as many goals as he has assists. Something like 14 goals, 15 assists in, in 22 games. That's just unreal. Um, and just the fact that when you when you read about the way he plays and when you watch him, he, he hugs out there, he hugs that touchline so so wide that the space that he'll create for the likes of Fernandez and if you've got a Gallo in there or or Rashford and Marshall, and the talk of uh, Marshall dropping deep and uh, playing in that sort of false nine kind of role, um, and he's, he's just he just seems an, an ideal fit now temperament wise whether he's he's gone out there which is brave brave decision to leave and. To be honest, moving to City, is he from London originally? I think he's from Watford, yeah. Yeah, so he's from down that way. So he was brave enough to come and uh, come all the way up here to to play at City. And then when uh, when Pep weren't giving him the chance, he he did one over there, and he's he took his chance with both hands. And right now, their numbers are phenomenal. Yeah, I, 
Jaden Sancho, I've spoke about him for years on Devils and on my own stuff. <clears throat> there was there was a bit of a scenario or a situation of when he played like under 18s level at City, you would hold your breath when he got the ball in the final third because he was that good and something was going to happen. And Pep might talk about Jaden uh, about Foden being the most talented player he's ever worked with. For me, that Brahim Diaz, who they lost to Real Madrid, and Jaden Sancho were fucking absolutely magic. And the pair of them, you just go, if this is the future of what City are bringing through, we are going to be fucked. But luckily, both of them knew how good they were and wanted to go and prove how good they were. They've gone out and proved how good they are. And now Jaden Sancho will be an England regular very soon. And hopefully, I'm not going to go as giddy as John went, but I think that there's a number seven with his name on it at Manchester United, and I think he's going to be absolutely loved by the crowd here. Josh, have we come to you on Jaden? No, not yet, but um, look, there's not much else to add. I think he's, he's profile-wise the perfect fit, and you know, we discussed it on the last podcast, and that, you know, when you see him, if he, if he was to join, I'm not going to be as, uh, like you said, as strong as John here, uh, but if he was to join, he is just that, age group um he's he's still got a lot to learn he's still developing you know we don't really have anyone who's the finished article in our front um sort of three or four uh so they're all gonna work except mason. Uh, yeah sorry except mason greenwood yeah the, the, the lad is fucking amazing but he's not quite the finished article because he's still got a bit of physical growing to do because that's just his age but um but, you know, when you look at that, they're going to grow together. If, if he comes in, they're going to grow together over the years. They're going to play together. And that is only going to be beneficial for us. And they're, they're all kind of not, not similar styles per se, but they can play this style that we want to see, which is this fast attacking direct football with a bit of fluidity. You can change things up quite quickly. Um, they, he would be amazing on the counter. You know, pace, his trickery, finishing. He's clearly got end product. So uh, there's nothing more to say than, look, he's an outstanding footballer and fills a need in the team as well, which I haven't touched on. Is like that right-hand side. Yes, Mason mm. Green was done amazingly well there. Uh, and, and, but Mason's future is through the, through the middle. He's the centre forward. He's going to bang in goals for fun. Um, but we don't have anyone that's really owned that right side. Juan Mata's played there. Jesse Lingard. Um, we had Diego Dalot play there for uh, like one or two games, and, and obviously Mason's played out there. So, but it's a it's a we're crying out for someone to come in. So if you think that Rashford's made that left side his own, uh, Martial in the last kind of few months is coming to a great bit of form and looks like he's starting to look like that centre forward that we we want to see up through the middle. It's that right side that just needs to be tied up, and he just fits perfectly, doesn't he? He's, I can't think of anyone else who's a better fit in that regard. Than Jaden Sancho, so it all lines up nicely. Whether it's going to happen, you just, I just don't know. The environment is just so. I wouldn't want to make a prediction on anything right now, given what's happening in in, in the world. And if you think about, if we're not going to have football, and then we're not going to have, like next season might be a, a diminished season. You know, finances and how is it going to impact finances, sponsorships, things mm-hmm. like that. You know, a club like Liverpool, we talked about them earlier pulling out. I mean, look at the optics. How could they go out and buy a £120 million player in the summer after having tried to furlough their staff? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be taken into account. And I, th- I think this summer, in terms of transfer activity, even for us, uh, could be even more diminished than we would think. He might be our only signing, right? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that might be where we go. I don't know. 
But um, yeah, it's difficult to predict anything at the moment, but he is an absolute perfect fit for us. Steve, just to add on that real quick, um, he mentioned about you know the optics of it all going forward. Uh, Manchester United obviously have been... Uh, they've they were they were known to have s- signed on this dude to try and you know shape up their PR PR stuff and really sort of like lighten things up from a Manchester United perspective. As you can see, the club has been doing very well with respect to donations and and donation of PPEs and things like that. They've been doing well right now. Um, but if you look at it theoretically, how good would it be? How much what how much uh, determination and how much. Uh, how much conviction would it show for Manchester United if they come out of this this pandemic and they're willing to spend that much money and just say, look, we want this project. We want Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to succeed. We know the money of it all right now is very uh, is very scary right now to spend, but we're going to go through with it because Manchester United, we have this financial strength. We could flex these muscles. We're going to go out and buy the Jadon Sancho and we're going to spend money and then some to create this project right now. That right there would also add the cherry on top of the icing to just make things even much better for Manchester United from a PR perspective. Because not only are we going out to the public, we're also showing the players around the the globe that are thinking about Manchester United saying, look, we're still Manchester United. We can still go out and spend money. We can go still go out. We can still keep our uh, non-playing staff paid a hundred percent, and then you know, and then still have enough money to go out and buy Jane Sancho. I think it'll just add on top of the PR if we can do something like that. Unfortunately, the, the past history of our yeah. owners suggests that that's probably not going to go down. But yeah, I agree. The reason I played a lottery, John. I do have to say, though, um, I, I'm really proud of the way United have behaved, but only relative to how certain other clubs have behaved, right? I think the way United have behaved has been how you'd expect a, a club in a leadership to behave. I, I mean, I know, I, I, and I'm trying to bring a bit of perspective here because... Whilst we've gone out there and, and, and we've done our bit, we've done it in, 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 in a way that you would, this is what you would expect, the absolute standard, right? And then obviously you've got people like uh, Marcus Rashford going out and doing things, Juan Mata, everyone in the club. So it's really great. Um, but I don't want to overblow, overplay what United have done, right? I think what they've done has been, is great. But at the same time, I, I do feel like it is only because Liverpool was so shit. That uh, that we're doing. So this whole PR and Tottenham thing, and Newcastle. Let's not forget. Yeah, them. but I, I, I'm focusing on Liverpool because, well, it's easier to, to talk about them. But but if you think about going out and doing 100, I, I do worry about the optics of going out and just saying, here's 120 million for Jaden Sancho. And then you sort of come back up. Yeah, then you only gave 100k for a food for the food banks in Manchester. Do you see what I mean? It's I'm not I'm not trying to criticise the club. I think they've done a great job. But I just still think that PR piece is a bit of a nuance and a balance to it. And, it, and that's why I say it's difficult to predict anything because it will really depend on what happens with this and how we go moving forward. There's more of a nuance to it than just banging out 120 million because then you're going to have to explain to people who don't follow football that, oh, it doesn't all go out once, you know, and there's, we don't just give them 120 million in cash and it's payments and then you're going to have those. Yeah, I just think it's just a little bit of nuance to it and uh, that's why I'm not going to make a prediction. I, it, there may not be a lot of activity. Woe betide the next footballer that crashes his Lamborghini. Oh my God, you're <laughs> fucked, my friend. The next footballer that wraps a Lamborghini up will not be treated nice by the press at all. Uh, and maybe that's the right thing to do. Uh, before we wrap this up, because we've waffled on for a good while now, uh, I just want to say thanks to these lads for joining us. Uh, but obviously Josh's career is involved in the medical world, um, hence why we call him Doc. Um, 
what sort of advice have you got for people during this time? And um, where's a good place to be finding out your own info and stuff? So um, there's so much information and it just depends on what type of information you want. Uh, so I'm someone who I work in, in medicines, research and development. And I used to be a clinical doctor as a surgeon. Uh, so in the NHS, um, so I'm kind of nerdy. So I look up all the where all the clinical trials are happening, where they are in the development phases for vaccines, treatment, stuff like that. So there's there's a few there's the Health Research Authority. So you can go on there and look at their approved clinical trials for that. If you're looking at the numbers, I use Worldometer. Uh, I think you said, Steve, that you use that as well. But I use that more for a general um, overview of what's going on. Uh, if you're looking for advice, I think the WHO website is good on that. There's some stuff where we're still learning, so there's not going to be definitive advice. So, for example, um, the masks, there's a debate about whether or not we should be wearing them. Um, and their advice is only if you're a patient or only if you've got symptoms. But actually, there's other evidence that suggests potentially that we should all be wearing them. Um, so, so the, but the WHO website is very good on general advice that you can go through and, and it's, it's sectioned out, it's sectioned out into kind of members of the public, uh, scientists and whatnot, and then also businesses. Then there's the financial times are running a daily modeling, uh, kind of chart that comes out on a, on a daily basis, which is, actually. which is really I good. I can't remember his name, but he, he does some really good stuff. And then uh, follow me because I'm a nerd and I'm putting stuff out all the time on different things. Um, and my Instagram, I've got a lot of different information. So did, I, didn't I didn't know this then. I've been looking at it. But apparently British American Tobacco are um, trying to develop a vaccine, which is slightly ironic given they're uh, obviously a cigarette manufacturer. But they're using tobacco plants to try and develop a vaccine, which is interesting. So I was looking at that. I had to look a couple of times to make sure I wasn't reading uh, like The Onion or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that does sound like a blank, doesn't it? Yeah. They went like first of April. He read that, was it? Uh, better check, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was. It was in a number of different websites. I'm gonna. Do you know what? I might actually have to go back and check that. Um, but it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, there's there's a lot of cool stuff that I'm I'm posting on different trials and things. But look, the advice is to stay stay informed and currently stay at home as best as you can right i know some people have to go to their jobs and haven't i haven't been their employers haven't been as accommodating as others but if you can stay home then stay home if it's just not worth the risk at the moment i mentioned to you my um father-in-law has come out of hospital so you know we were really worried uh but i my also my sister-in-law who's um 40 she was in hospital for nine days with it so you know it, it's not just old people not that that would matter not like they're, they're a disposable part of society but you know it is a risk for all of us there's i know i know a 22 year old who's in hospital at the moment um and he's kind of in uh, intensive care um and and uh, someone else lots there's lots of stories right so it's not just about um it, the, the older you get the more higher risk you are but we're all at risk okay that there's no and, and the other thing to think it says if you get a severe infection and you come out of it you don't necessarily go back to normal it's not like life is back to normal the patients are coming out of it with what like lung fibrosis and and which is essentially a stiffening of your lung so you'll have reduced lung capacity reduced capacity to exercise your life expectancy will likely be uh reduced so it's not just a case of yeah i'm young even if i get it i'll get through it 
you couldn't, if you end up with a severe infection, which 20% of people are getting um, in, in all age groups, generally speaking, and um, if you get that severe infection, there's a risk of long-term um, kind of issues. And there's no real, there's no true definitive understanding as to why certain people get the severe infections. So the point is, stay informed. Don't treat this like it's just another, you know, don't just go out and, and uh, sort of go and, and do what you want to do. Really take it seriously. And also, um, you know, keep reading and keep keep informed. That's the, that's the best advice you can give is stay informed. Um, the geezer is called John Byrne Murdoch, uh, JB Mur Jane Byrne Murdoch, who is the scatter plots and stats for the Financial Times. Yeah, He's really good, actually. About 11 or 12 o'clock every night, he puts out a big thread of, uh, of different stats and compares what's going on across the world. Um, Josh, this is fucking terrifying, the, the shit that you're coming out of. How bad does someone have to cook a bat before everyone in the world gets grounded? That's so, fucking nuts, isn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> You know, there was a 2007 paper that was talking about um, zoonotic kind of transmission. And in that, there's a sentence around, so bats are really, they harbor all sorts of shit, basically. And, and there was a warning sentence in that paper that basically says, given the amount of bats and shit that's eaten in China, they won't be surprised if something comes out of there. And, and here we are. The thing is, it, yeah, it, it's it's mental though, isn't it? Like I I don't know, I can't get my head around why you'd eat a bat. I mean, I'm adventurous with my food, but you put a bat in front of me, I'm I'm probably gonna Mate, pass. One point <laughs> five billion people, you're eating fucking bugs and all sorts of stuff. There's just no two ways around it. Uh, right, gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. Make sure to subscribe to Full Time Devils, and uh, we will see you guys in the next one. Later. Sports Social Podcast Network.